And Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Now, therefore, I pray, take heed to thyself until the morning and abide in a secret place and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will commune with my father and uh, uh, I will commune with my father of, of thee. And what I see that I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke good of David unto Saul, his father, and said unto him, let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand, and slew the Philistine, and the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. I love this. David, uh, Jonathan says to his dad, you saw it. You saw what he did, and you rejoiced over what David did. And wherefore, then, wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul swore, as, as the Lord lives, he shall not be slain. He says, I won't kill him. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. That kind of appeased Saul for a while. And David, again, you know, he was, he was the, the, the general, and he would lead the nation out to battle, and he would fight for Saul the king and for God and for his country. But then Saul began to be jealous of David. And, and you remember when the jealousy started with Saul? Does anybody recall in Scripture how, that, how we first see that re- reared up in, in Saul? Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and he, he went into the city, and what happened? David went into the city. What happened after he had that great victory? Yeah, people are singing something to the effect of, uh, um, David has, man, David killed a lot of people, and Saul only killed a few, and that's what they were singing about, and, and Saul was like, wait a minute, I'm the king. What is this going on? And Jealousy, envy, hatred. What, what other than Adam and Eve, you know, sinning against God, not listening, what's kind of the next sin or sins that we see in the Bible? The next thing we kind of hear was Cain killing Abel, right? The, the, the sin didn't start with the murder, did it? It started with the jealousy, the envy, and the hatred. See, Abel brought an offering to God that was accepted. And do you know why Abel's offering was accepted? Because it was the offering God told him to bring. God said, bring an offering of, of a lamb of blood, and I will accept that offering. Cain said, you know what? I'm a farmer, and what I do certainly will be accepted by God. It will be good enough, even though God said, I don't want that. And so Cain brought his offering to God, and God rejected the offering. And yet he accepted Abel's, and that is when that jealousy and bitterness began, and that brought about the murder. We tell our kids all the time, I said, look, you know what? A little thing of jealousy today can be a very destructive thing tomorrow, and you've got to watch it. And I said, you need to, you know, don't hold, don't be jealous and don't hold.
hold bitterness in your heart. Holding bitterness in your heart is like, you know, something bad happens or something against you happens or whatever, and you let it cook inside of you. That's holding that. And when that bitterness cooks, it's like when I, um, when you take an egg, you crack it open, you put it in boiling water. It's called um, poaching. Thank you. I like poached eggs. And so after my workout in the morning, I usually eat two poached eggs. And the problem with me poaching eggs is I put it in the, in the boiling water, and then I usually walk away because I'm doing something else. And when I come back, what's happened? Th- yeah, there's a big white fluffy froth boiling out all over the pot and the hob and everything else because it's boiled over. It doesn't contain it. It gets too hot and it simmers up. And that's what bitterness does. That boils up and it comes out. And that's the first sin. And so Saul is now kind of like Cain. He saw this and he got jealous. And that jealousy turned to envy. And that envy and jealousy turned into bitterness. And that bitterness went to hatred. And now he wants to kill David, the man who fought for him, the man who gave his life for him, the man who played the harp for him, the man that did all this stuff, now Saul wants to kill him. And, 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 and so David was hiding and said, look, he's going to kill me. Jonathan says, let me see if I can go sort it out. So he goes talk to his dad, and, and he, he, his dad says, yeah, yeah, you, you tell David to come back. And for a while, it was okay. But because there was no true repentance in Saul's heart, it wasn't a real conversion type thing. It lasted for a moment, but then it was completely gone. Now let's pick up back this story in verse 8, chapter 19, verse 8. And there was war again, and David went out, and he fought with the Philistines, and he slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand. And David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. That hatred got up so burning within Saul, he took that javelin and threw it so hard, man, it went into the wall and and stuck there. And and so the question, though, is this. Look at verse 9. The Bible says that an evil spirit came from the Lord. And they ask, what is that? An evil spirit from the Lord. Has anybody ever read this text before and wondered, what is that evil spirit? Anybody? Nobody? Would you like to know what that evil spirit is today besides Andrew? Amen. Because you know what? It's in the Bible. And it says an evil spirit came from the Lord. And it's not the only place. Did you find some other places? It's, but it's true. But with Saul, it's not the only place. It says an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, 
you know, you read this, you think, God sent to Saul an evil spirit. And that evil spirit, technically, most theologians would say it's actually a demonic spirit. Whether the demonic spirit was for the purpose of just kind of mental agitation or physical effect on Saul, we don't know. But what we do know is that it was an evil spirit. It was a demonic devil spirit. And the Bible clearly says in that verse that it came from the Lord, right? Look at 1 Samuel 16. Try to get through as much as we can today. If not, we'll, we'll finish up next week. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, you need to circle or underline that statement because that's really key with understanding this evil spirit that came to Saul. The, the, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And then Saul's servant said, You know, behold, now an evil spirit from God troubles you. Let our Lord now command thy servants, which are before thee, to seek out a man. Hey, you know what's going on? This is the first place that kind of David sneaks into the kingdom picture here, you know? And to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon thee, that he shall play with his hand, and thou shalt be well. Remember, what was David's first job in the palace? He was a harp. A what, what do you call it? A harper? He was a harpist, you know? He played music. And, and you, we know for a fact that music can be quite soothing, can't it? You know, in our home, music's playing all the time. You know, we got, we got, we, other than the classical music, we only play Christian music. Now, I'm not going to debate, you know, classical music, but personally, I don't really care for it. Beethoven, Bach, Streisand, whatever all those old <laughs> contemporary, old classical artists are, I have no idea. But my kids, <laughs> they were saying one day, hey, Dad, we dig this music mom's playing. I said, what is it? And Lisa says, it's, it's Stratikovsky's 15,000th symphony or something. I said, honey, it doesn't do anything for me. I, I just don't get it. But you know what? She, at nighttime when they were little, she would put in classical lullabies for our kids. And man, they'd be talking, and then all of a sudden she'd play that music. And they'd be out within a short period of time. So music does soothe. And this is what David did. When, when the Spirit of the Lord departed Saul because his rejection of God, an evil spirit came upon him. And this, this is where David first came into the picture. Now, that's the second place where he speaks of this evil spirit upon Saul. Now, flip over just a couple chapters to chapter 18. We'll just start back in verse 8 just to give a couple verses addition to it. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. Remember the story I told you about the, 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 what David did and all. And to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed 
And that word I means he viewed David with suspicion. He watched him. And he eyed David that day and forward. In verse 10, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Now, what is this evil spirit from the Lord? What is this evil spirit that came upon Saul? Did God send it to him? More importantly, though, the question might be, does God send a demon to afflict his people today? Would God send an evil spirit upon you or I? I mean, because if the Bible says that God sent Saul an evil spirit, would he send us one? Doesn't that make sense about the question? Does God do it today? Is it possible for me to have an evil spirit from God? What does this mean? And that was the question, what does this mean? And I'll have to be honest with you, there aren't many commentaries that cover these verses. You go, I have, I have a computerized software that has a bunch of commentaries in it. And when I went through it to, to study this text out, in, in like in 1 Samuel 19, it, it, verse 1, verse 2, verse 5, verse 6, verse 8, verse 10. I, they just flat skip it. Most of my commentaries just skip right over the evil spirit. You know what I'm talking about. They, they don't even talk about it. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go to one of the more contemporary, meaning new theologians. His name's Guzik. He's spot on brilliant, fantastic commentator. I looked at his, has nothing on it. I went to Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry's an old guy from way, way back when, still would still speaks kind of like in the King's English, you know, in very old, old kind of King James-style English. He had almost nothing to say about it. So you had to do quite a big bit of digging about this verse. And the truth is, there are some things that don't really mean a whole lot in our spiritual life and our spiritual walk. And this is probably one of those things. But it is something in Scripture that we need to deal with, and there's a question about it. So how do we sort this thing out? The Spirit the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, then an evil spirit came upon Saul. And I think before we understand what the evil spirit is, we need to understand a little bit of how the Holy Spirit works in the Old Testament. Now, how does the Holy Spirit work for us today? How do we, Renee, how do we get the Holy Spirit? We get convicted of our sin. We get saved. That's how we get the Holy Spirit, right? We're convicted of our sin. We look to the Lord. We repent. And He comes inside and lives in us. Nobody in the age of grace that we live in today Nobody outside the family of faith in God has the Holy Spirit upon them. Nobody. The Holy Spirit is an indwelling agent of the believer. It says it tells us in John, Jesus said, I go, and when I go, I send. And when I send, he comes in, and he convicts, and he directs, and he works, and he lives, and the, there's plenty of scripture of 
of how we are the house or housing of the Spirit of God. The Bible talks about in the Old Testament the Spirit of God tabernacled in that tabernacle in the wilderness. It means that it dwelt in the tabernacle, in that holiest of place. The Bible talks about us as God's indwelling. We, the Holy Spirit, tabernacles or indwells in us. That's clear teaching from the Bible. But in the Old Testament, that's not how it worked. Let me, let me read my note here and I'll explain. The Holy Spirit did not indwell everybody in the Old Testament like he does the believers of today. The Holy Spirit would come and would go off of people as he pleased, right? Does that, does y'all follow me so far? He came, he stayed sometimes for a long time or for that entire person's life, or he would come for a short time and then he would depart. This this working of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, it's the evidence or it is the, the proof of the fact that the presence or the absence of the Spirit of God on people in the Old Testament did not say anything about the salvation of that person, but only that the Holy Spirit's power worked in those whom God selected for service for a specific period of time. Did I confuse you with that? In other words, God said, I'm going to use you, and I send my spirit on you, and my spirit will stay with you while you are in service for me. Now I want you to take your Bibles to a couple of chapters of explanation on how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. Go to Judges chapter 3, verse 9, and we'll read a few verses there. Judges 3, verse 9. Now, there was a period of time of about 400-ish years after Joshua brought Israel into the Promised Land that Israel were governed by judges. They had no kings, and God would raise up judges when needed and for how long of a time they needed. And usually during those times of judges, the people would live for God that judge would die, the people would get away from God, God would raise up another judge. Now, this particular passage in Judges 3 talks about a judge by the name of Othniel. And in verse 9 it says, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them. Now, it says nothing about any spiritual qualifications. As a matter of fact, there were some that God put his spirit on for service that were not very spiritually minded at all. Can you think of anybody like that? Anybody? I'll show you in a minute. And the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel, and he went out to war. And the Lord delivered these different people into his hand, into Othniel's hand, and his hand prevailed against Shushan Rishem, or however you pronounce that. Now, it doesn't say anything about Othniel's spirituality, whether he followed God or not. I believe Othniel did follow God because he was 
Caleb's younger brother. Y'all remember Caleb? Caleb was one of the spies that was faithful with Joshua. They gave a good report and said, let's go take this country. We can do it. God's with us. And so it doesn't say anything of the spirituality. It just says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now flip over a couple chapters to chapter 6 in Judges. And we'll find another fellow. This fellow was a little fearful. Matter of fact, he was so fearful that he was hiding from the enemy in kind of like a hole type thing while he threshes out his wheat. Okay? You wouldn't look to him and say, wow, you're a spiritual giant, dude. God's going to use you. But the Lord said, it pleases me to pick Gideon, and so I will pick Gideon. And look what it says about Gideon in Judges 6, verse 34. Again, Gideon became a judge of Israel. It says there, but the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Not much detail about his life other than the fact at this point we know he was fearful. We know that the people were under oppression. We know that he was hiding from the enemy. We know that he didn't have great boldness at that time. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he blew a trumpet, and Abiezar was gathered after him. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and what did Gideon do? Anybody know? Tell me, what did Gideon do? Well, he did some of that, tested out God, but what eventually did he do to be used of God to be the judge and deliverer of Israel? Right. He went and said, said, Israel, let's go to battle. So a bunch of like 22,000 people came out or something. And, 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 and God said, lead the people, but let's go get a drink of water first. And everybody who drinks in one way, you put them off to the side. And everybody who drinks this way, you keep them to yourself. And, and, and out of those 20 plus odd thousand people, only 300 people drank the water like God said. I can't remember if it was lapping it up like this. Do you remember, Renee? I think they drank out of their hands. Yeah. The 300 drunk out of their hand because he's kind of looking for the enemy, you know. And God said, Gideon, you take those 300. And then they take those 300 and they go down, they spy out the people, and the people are saying, you know what? God's going to deal with us and Gideon's going to beat us. And so what happened? 300 torch in one hand. Uh, what was it in the other hand? A spear or a bow or something in the other hand? A stick maybe? And Gideon said, when I give you the signal, break open that torch, scream like a banshee Indian, and run after the enemy. And that's exactly what they did. And the Spirit of the Lord took that fearful kid who was hiding from the enemy and allowed him to lead only 300 men and has vanquished thousands in God's service. The Spirit of God came upon him for a period of time to do a work that God had selected him, him to do. Now go to Judges chapter 13. Now this talks about Samson. I won't, go, I won't give too much about Samson. You could speak a lot about Samson. A couple of years ago, I think it might have been a couple of years ago, uh, Renee gave a teaching at one of the men's prayer breakfasts. It was on Samson, wasn't it, Renee? Best exegesis of Samuel or of Samson that I've ever heard absolutely spot on 
Now, Samson was a really tricky fellow. Nothing in his entire life ever represented a spiritual hunger or desire. Right? You agree with me? Nothing. And yet, God raised up Samson to do amazing things. Um, in June, uh, Monty White's going to come back, and he's going to lead whoever wants to go to the British Museum on a tour of the British Museum about all the things about the Bible in the British Museum. And one of the things down there on the first floor near the Assyrian area is a gate of a city. It's 50 feet high or something insane like that. And you remember in the Bible where it says that Samson took the gate of the city and used it to, to defeat the enemy? He wasn't just taking a pole or, or some stick off. He took a section of the gate, which is a massive piece of, of work there, and he wielded that in his arms like it was a, a, a nothing, and he beat up the enemy. When the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson, Samson would defeat the enemy and he would lead the people into victory. But he never led the people spiritually. Spiritually, Samson, until the very end of his life, was a reprobate. It was only until Samson uh, told Delilah where the secret of his strength was. And he said, the secret of the strength is in my hair. You cut my hair and I will not be strong. So Delilah cut his hair, and she said, all right, come get him now. And Samson thought, huh, I'll just stand up like I've done the other couple of times that I told Delilah something, and I'll just beat up the enemy. But his strength was gone because the Spirit of God departed from him, and he was as weak or as strong, however you want to look at it, as a normal man. And they took him into captivity. They poked out his eyes. Either poked him out or burned him out, I can't recall. But it wasn't nice. And they took his eyeballs out, and they put him on basically a grinder thing, and he would grind wheat blindly, or whatever grain. He would do that blind, blindly. Some time passed, and the Philistines said, hey, let's make sport about Samson. And Samson, with no eyes, grinding some grain, he, he finally realized his sin. And he said, you know what? I've been wrong. And he repented. And it's clear in Scripture, he looked to the Lord. And they came and got Samson and brought him into an arena. And there was thousands, about 3,000 or more people in this arena. And Samson said to a young boy, hey, where are the pillars of this place? And the young boy said, oh, right over here. He said, lean me up against them. And he called out. I love it. I think it's the first time he ever did it. He called out to God and said, God, help me. And he put his hands on these pillars. And, and he broke the pillars of that arena down. And the Bible says thousands of the enemies of God were killed that day. And he did more that day than he had done all in his life. The Spirit of the Lord came back on him at that last thing, and he was strong again. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon people and went as God pleased. Do you understand how God's Spirit works? Because today, and I'm going to finish with this, and we'll actually get to the question next week. 
Because the question can be asked is this, well, Pastor, if I sin, will the Spirit of God leave me? What do you say? No. Can you do something to make as if the Spirit of God is gone? Yes. The Bible talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. You know, I think a lot of times when people are like, you know, I just don't feel God's present in my life. I, you know, I, the, he seems so far away from me. I, I, there's no prayer answer. I mean, there's just, there's just nothing there. I wonder sometimes, like, you know, not that it's a test, but maybe it's sin in our life that has grieved the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you know what that grieve means? We can quench the working of the Spirit in our life by our sin. So in the New Testament, in the age of grace, once we are saved, we are eternally saved. In the, the sign or the, the um, what's it called? The, the interest, is that the word that the Bible uses? Renee. The verification that we're saved, God gives us a, a interest. God gives us a, yes, that's what it was. God seals us with the Holy Spirit. That is the sign that we are born again. Because we are saved eternally, and we have that spirit as a symbol, as a seal, as a sign of our salvation, it cannot depart. But what can happen is we can quench the working, we can so grieve the Spirit of God in our life that He pulls back and there's no working there. Do, do you understand what I mean? You know, listen, you and I, when we get saved, we cannot sin and still, still have the blessing of God on us. Just not too long ago, you don't know any idea about this situation. You ain't got a clue. I get asked to do a lot of things. Somebody asked me to lie for them. And I just looked at them for a few minutes, gobsmacked and dumbfounded that somebody would even actually ask me to do this. And I said to them, I said, I, can't, I cannot do that. I said, I cannot lie for you and, and say something that is not true. And, and I said to them, I said, look, you can't pray and ask God to bless what you're doing because you've just asked me to do that. You can't pray and ask for God's blessing when you're doing something so against the teaching of God's word. You know? Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says, and we as Independent Christians love this. The Bible says that homosexuality is an abomination to him, right? Is that what it says? Do you know what we forget? It says absolutely the same thing about lying. It says that lying is an abomination to God. Guys, we can't pick and choose our sin. You know, right is right, wrong is wrong. There is a line that we walk and that's it. We do not go beyond that line. When I left that person some time ago, my heart hurt for them because I thought, 
I can't imagine that you're close with God at this moment because you are sinning against Him and you are grieving the Spirit of God. All that needs to happen is repentance and the Spirit of the Lord would be fresh and renewed. You can't lose it, but you can keep it at, at a distance in bay. So, in understanding what the evil spirit from God is, we need to first understand how the Holy Spirit worked in the Old Testament. And the truth is this. It came and it went as He pleased upon whom He pleased, not based on anything of that person other than the fact it pleased God for His purposes to do so. Okay? Does that make sense? Does anybody have any questions thus far? Any, Any questions? Y'all are an easy crowd today or a tired crowd. Or I have so utterly confused you, you have nothing to say. Yes, Renee. Okay. Yes. There's a sin that cannot be forgiven. That's what you're talking about? And it is, it is true. There is a sin that cannot be forgiven. It is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody know how to define blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Louder. That's exactly it. It is rejection of the Holy Spirit of God. To blaspheme is to to curse and to say no. It is to say, I don't need you or you do not exist. Anybody watch the Bill Nye Ken Ham debate over creation and evolution last week? Neither did I, because it's two and a half hours long, and it is too long to do in one shot. Okay, I started it, and I said, "Dude, my mind is is going crazy." So I'm on pause, on and off. Bill Nye, his big issue is not evolution. His big issue is that he denies God, point blank, period that he has no room and no space for Christianity because he has no room for God himself. That, if not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is about as close as you can get when you say, there is no God, there is no salvation, there is nothing. All right, It is rejection of the Spirit of God. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. A true believer in Jesus Christ cannot blaspheme the Spirit of God. We can't because it is a rejection of the Spirit. Does that answer your question, Renee? Anything else? So, the big question for next week is, okay, Saul had the Spirit of God, but now he has an evil spirit. How did it happen? And was it truly from the Lord? I'll say this, and then, then we'll part for next week. The only reason that Saul had an evil spirit is because the Spirit of God left him. And when the Spirit of God left him, it opened him up to what he actually was. And what he was inside manifested itself in an outward action. But he truly did have an evil spirit upon him. And I I don't know who it was, but someone here earlier said about 
about Pharaoh and how God hardened his heart, it's kind of similar, and we'll look about that at next week. Amen? All right. But, but understand the Holy Spirit worked completely different before Jesus Christ sent him to the people of God. All right. Let's pray, and we'll keep on doing this next week. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for today. And, and Father, I pray for us as a people of God, Lord, that we can continue to serve you together and to love you and, and to be right in our walk so that the world can see, not us, but the light of Christ in us, 